And that's where things start happening is when people start looking for you as opposed to you looking for them. Are you known for living your mission? Are you Is your company and organization known for taking care of people? Are you known for standing behind what you really actually say what you're doing? Are you congruent to what you're written down and what your actions are? Mm. If they are, people will talk about you and people will want to work with you. That's business mentor, visionary speaker, coach, and entrepreneur, Licky Laji, who helps people identify blind spots to live a life of congruence. You're listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Folks, before we jump to the episode today, I want you all to know that we are giving away free back issues online at real-leaders.com slash black-friday-special, where you can instantly download a digital magazine for free with no credit card or commitment. Listeners, people, I'm telling you, we're a magazine to go online right now if you're on a phone, if you're on the mobile, don't do not do it if you're driving. But seriously, we're going to keep this page up. It's December 4th right now. Black Friday was last week. We're going to keep this up till March. No, we're going to, we're, we're going to, we're never going to take this down. It might be March 2030. You might be listening to this. That link will still be live. Those magazines want you to read them. Go online. Real-leaders.com slash black dash friday dash special it's simple it's easy share it with friends and families i do not care read it people it's gonna help you out it's gonna change your life okay back to the podcast please everyone give it up for the real and likable licky lavji okay well we'll get started here okay all right in five four three two and one and welcome, lucky listeners, to the Real Leaders Podcast with Licky Lavji, the founder of the Dante Group, and me, your host, Kevin Edwards. Licky, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. So, Licky, I, I want to start this conversation off. Um, we had a team call, and before every t- team call, I'd like to do something I, like, I, I call the uh, the tune-up. So, our tune-up question was uh, this week was, what was your favorite part about the 90s? So, we had a couple people go around. Oh, you know, I like the movies. Um, oh, I miss, you know, the washed jeans. And one of our employees said, I just miss being pregnant. And this is when I was pregnant. It was a great time. <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, and I just missed that era of having that purpose. Um, so my question for you, Lucky, isn't what is your favorite part about the 90s, but in the last 25 years or so, how has your business mindset changed uh, for the way you approach new clients? Uh, great question. You know, uh, I want to forget the 90s. I, I really do. You know, um, not because, I mean, I got married in 1990. I don't want to forget that part, but it was a struggle going into the technology world. I started my technology industry uh, experience in 1990. And from nothing to what it, what it, how it evolved was very difficult, trying to stay on top of everything. But in 1995 is when I started my own career. I became self-employed at that point. And, Developed, you know, it was interesting. I developed a bunch of applications at that point for online. And online at that point wasn't very common. And we developed software for the car industry, for the auto industry. And it was wonderful at that point and more like web development. So it actually changed quite a bit for us. Leading to the 2000s, that's when things really shifted for me and my business. Um, we started really realizing how technology helped us and how it also hindered us as well. Um, 
relationships started getting more emails and messaging as opposed to being in front of people. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with somebody this morning about what, how does how's technology really helped you or it hasn't helped you? Well, it's helped you if you make use of it, but if you depend on it, it actually impedes you mm. relationships. So I don't know if that gives you a good answer of what my life was like in the 1990s. It was a struggle in the 1990s, 2000s were way better. And the 20, I say the last 10 years has been a real shift for me. It's- uh, focusing more on what I really want to be doing. And technology is still a part of it though. I was going to say, it's interesting you say that because I feel like technology has created so many opportunities for self-employment. Was that a, another reason why you were able to feel that confidence that you want to say, hey, you know, I'm being self-employed now. I want to do my own thing. I want to run my own company and using technology, using a, 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 a podcast to get in touch with people, using uh, email marketing to uh, maybe generate more leads. I don't know how you do that or not, but um, what, why would you say technology, if you depend on it, might hinder you, I guess? Well, you know, it's interesting. So if I go back to grade eight for myself, mm. I developed a football game using those big card readers back in the day. And then I forgot about technology. So when I started my consulting company, it really wasn't about technology. It was about selling. It was about being in sales, selling software. I, I remember I was, in, I was in major debt and I got a job at a company called Super Software. And this is in 1990 when margins for software, like you used to be able to go to a store and buy WordPerfect for $900. And it was 40% margins at that point. So my commission check that I received, this is right before Christmas, was huge. Mm. And I loved it. And it wasn't about technology. It was just about an opportunity at that point for me. But once I learned technology, I started utilizing that. Today, we use technology for every aspect of our business. Do I depend on it? Yes. Do I count it as my sales funnel? I manage my sales funnel, but I'm still an in-person meeting type of guy. Mm. Um, To me, I I need to go back to my basics, which is networking, get in front of people, have relationships, have coffees, have beers, have dinners, and then you build a relationship from that. Then you definitely put that into your technology CRM and you start doing follow-ups and keeping them engaged. Mm. I think it's a mixture of both. Yeah, you have to use both still. So, Lucky, what about clients that are outside your area? Uh, Do you go out of your way to you know fly down and meet them for like like you said the beer? Um, What do you do? I had a call this morning with a client actually, and they're from uh, Toronto, and we're just looking at booking a trip in February to go see them, and we're just in preliminary conversations with them. Um, So yeah, no, to me, it's still about doing the Zoom, uh, having phone calls. But if it gets to a situation where we need to have a deeper conversation, and I, to me, it's all about getting to know people. And they, they need to know me and trust me. And I need to know who they are as well and trust them as well. See if we can do a good marriage. And we'll go down and fly down and have a conversation. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's that's something I've also noticed as well with the podcast. You can't have that same human interaction uh, with them because I do I do them both. I do them, uh, you know, like this, you know, over Wi-Fi and then also obviously in person. Uh, and there's a big disconnect. It's a it's a it, it's a big difference when you speak with somebody in person in terms of like you can engage with them more. You have a little bit more time to build rapport with them uh, and you can sense their um, their feelings a little bit better uh, yeah. and you have an understanding for what you want to ask them over Wi-Fi. It's a little bit more difficult and it's a little bit easier to kind of put a, put a, a wall over you. Uh, but Licky, let's, let's talk more about 
you know, this client that you're speaking to right now, what, you know, pe- people aren't going to want to talk to you if you're selling them something that, you know, isn't meaningful, isn't purposeful. Uh, what type of value are you giving to your customers? And what's, what's the, really the, the product, I guess, that you're, that you're selling? Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, we, um, I've been doing uh, coaching for last number of years and I was doing sales and business strategy sessions for clients and going in and, and trying to shift their, their focus on where they wanted to be at building a sales team and, Literally, most of my clients, they were excited about the, the whole process. They loved it. We went through the process. As soon as I walked away, I'd do a follow-up after three or four weeks, and they would say nothing got done or not the hard things. The hard things didn't get done. Mm-hmm. So things like, you know, if it was a strategy session, it would be, okay, you need to have a real hard conversation with your VP about accountability. That conversation never happened. Or the sales team would be, okay, you know, we need to get these referrals in place. We need to go do some more cold calling and you need to go out and meet people face to face. And those accountabilities didn't happen. So I had to go back and revisit why, why this wasn't happening. And it really came down to was people have some limiting beliefs in their, in their personal lives. I'm not good enough. I'm afraid to. Um, I don't want to have those hard conversations because of what happened in my past. There's all these things in, in our minds. So what I've done now is I've sort of shifting people's mindsets before I do a change management, before I go and do any kind of strategy sessions. I want to go in there and really have a conversation about what are your blind spots that are in the way? And once we identify those blind spots, you know, imagine you got up this morning and you started driving and you didn't check your blind spots in your car. You're most likely going to get hit or you're going to hit somebody. But in life, we go on every day ignoring our own personal blind spots. Mm. Nobody calls us out on it because we don't allow that conversation to happen and we just keep on moving. Mm. So when we go to organizations, we facilitate conversations around finding your own personal blind spots and organizational blind spots. Once those are identified, we can either resolve them or park them, at least identify what they are, and then move on to be high performers. Mm. So our job is to go in shift a mindset and then allow them to do what they want to be at. Mm. Uh, the conversation this morning with our client was about implementing the culture. And I love that conversation. We're trying to do culture. Well, what does culture really mean to you? That was the first question I asked. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, we have these values and mission. I go, those are wonderful. But people, do the people know them? Are you hiring based on that culture? Are you hiring or firing based on those cultures? Are you getting your customers based around those cultures or those values? And if not, how are you implementing it? What's in the way of implementing those, uh, those, those values? So we had that you know, deep conversation around that. So our recommendation to them was, let's have three different sessions between your executives, your middle management, and your frontline staff, and find out what their real issues are. And then put all those findings together, and then reveal all the blind spots to the entire executive team, mm. and then create a plan on how to deal with those. Majority of these issues come up from trust, lack of trust, and a lack of communication. So those are the, the key blind spots that always show up for us. Yeah, well, Licky, it seems like you're really tapping into something that is is been very interesting to me uh, as, as this year has progressed and understanding these corporations that are bringing in uh, companies based off their mission and their values, as well as the 
average friend of mine that's working a nine to five and is continually in, in the same cycle. Uh, so I really like your analogy with the blind spot. It's right. great. I mean, we all don't pay attention to it and it could lead to, you know, a serious accident and, all, you know, a, a life ruining situation. Um, so when you're having these conversations with these business owners and you and you understand you find out the gap between management and the average employee at, at this uh, at this you know, company, what then is the next step in, in order to to look and find that blind spot that's right there. And, and how do you, what are some examples that you can maybe share with our audience? Well, uh, you know, um, I'll share one of my, one of my personal experiences and how I ended up here. And that will give you an idea of what blind spots do and how, how to come across them. Great. So um, when I, when I immigrated into Canada in 1976, I was 10 years old. Um, I was, you know, we landed in, in Ottawa and I came from Pakistan, so I knew English, but I wasn't able to articulate my words very well. And the teacher had asked me to get up on, in front of the classroom and share my journey about the immigration. So I get up there, I'm excited, I'm a 10-year-old kid, you know, it was snowing outside, and I was having fun. And I get up there and I'm talking to them and excited about showing what the, immigration, the, the, the journey was. And some of the kids started laughing. And one of the kids yells, go back where you came from. And I kind of ignored him and I started talking more. And again, he yells, go back where you came from. So I just, you know, went back to my chair, sat down and I was in tears. And the next morning, um, I developed a stutter. The lack of articulation of words, the not being good enough, created a stutter in my life. I held on to that for 35 years. Now, those are the key words that created this limiting belief of mine. Mm. I'm not good enough. You're not smart enough. Go back where you came from. Seven years ago, I'm sitting in a workshop with an incredible gentleman by the name of Bob Berg, who's the author of The Go-Givers. And we do this receiving exercise. And he is, you know, there's people around the table. And my turn to stand up. And the person in front of me goes, you know, they're supposed to appreciate and, and acknowledge your traits. So they go, you know, you're an incredible person. You're kind, you're loving, you're funny, you're smart, you're engaging. And not one of them said, go back where you came from. So I finally heard those acknowledgements. Now, I could say I never heard those before, but I did. I used to hear them from my friends and family, but I didn't learn to receive them. Hmm. The moment I learned to receive those words that were given to me by strangers that I've only known for three days, the next morning when I got on my flight, I had a conversation with the passenger next to me and my stutter was gone. So my blind spot was not able to receive, not able to receive the good. I was really good at receiving the criticism and the bad and hold on to that, but not able to receive the good was a difficult, was difficulty for me. Mm. So once I started doing that, life shifted for me. The other one that we always have a problem with is with trust. Why don't we trust people? Um, my limiting belief on trust has always been when I was three years old, my dad passed away. When I was five years old, my grandfather passed away. When I was 16 or 18, I think it was, my best friend passed away in a car accident. When I was 25, my cousin passed away in a car accident. So to me, it was always the people that you're closest to are going to lead me. Mm. So I didn't trust anything. I didn't trust life. So 
employees felt they weren't trusted. Family felt they weren't trusted until I acknowledged and realized why I had an issue with trust. Now, trust is easy. Now imagine you being um, part of a team of 15 and your executive or your leader doesn't trust anybody. It just shows in all the language. People don't comprehend and do work well. This shifted for me. So when we go into organizations, our job is to share stories like this, get them to think. We go into a, into a state of their mind, become a little bit more self-awareness of what their possible blind spots are. Everybody has multiple different blind spots. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll name some that were given by, by Inc., Inc. Magazine. You know, the first one is afraid to ask for help. People are always afraid to ask for help. Or they're insensitive of their behaviors on others. Mm-hmm. They have an I know it attitude. I know everything. I'm right. You know, uh, blaming others. They're avoiding hard conversations. So these are some of the key blind spots that are in organizations and in people. Mm. Once we find those, my recommendation always is let's find out what what the common blind spots are and then facilitate a conversation around resolving them or parking them so you can move towards what you really want to do, which is whatever your business is. Yeah, Licky, I really, well, first off, thanks for sharing that. I know it's pretty difficult to share uh, sometimes. Uh, and I, we appreciate that on behalf of the religious audience listening out there. Um, but I, I want to touch on the point you mentioned, and that was, I'm right, I'm right. And this is something that is so common throughout any business. I think anyone listening to this right now would agree they've either been that person, I know I have, or have been in a meeting where that person, you know, feels maybe a little bit anxious, feels maybe a little bit stressed. And it, there's like a psych, there's a science to it. It's, it's, if you want to have that argument with somebody and you want to be right and the person there's like four responses right there's either the response to the you know fight or flight to fight that person to then flee from the conversation to be you know accompany them be friends with them or kind of just sit back and you know just shut the hell up and and it seems like these people who have that tendency to be right all the time get this dopamine rush out of it like there is a science to it and it seems to really um, uh, just spread like a virus throughout the organization itself. So it's really interesting. You know, I love to learn more about kind of your your work and what you're doing. But I wanted to stay on this this topic of blind spots as well. This limiting belief. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it for an organization or somebody in an organization or a leader of an organization to unlearn something and learn something new? Very simple. I mean, you know, you just picked up on one right now, just by me sharing a story about being right. And that's what ends up happening is we're, it's so natural for us to drive and check for our blind spots. Nobody ever tells you, okay, you need to wake up and look at your own blind spots, right? But with conversations like this, it prompts that conversation inside your head. Hmm. Maybe I am doing this. Yeah. Maybe I am always trying to be right. Maybe I am always interrupting people when they're talking. Maybe I am not trusting people. So that's what ends up happening after our conversations. Then we go through an exercise for sure, and they write some of these things down and really see if it's real or not. Um, Honestly, it's just being aware that you have blind spots. That's it. So is it, is that like an openness? Is that, um, cause I like openness. Like, like I'm, I, I love, 
when my team has different ideas and sometimes the different ideas um, conflict with what I, where I saw the company going. Um, but as, as we've seen, blind spots also lead to a lot of tech innovation. For instance, I was interviewing somebody from NASA. They said, do you know how many tech innovations were, you know, came from the Apollo mission? He's like, these spinoffs, they're everywhere. It's on the internet. You can find them. And I looked them up. There's like 50 different, you know, tech innovations that came from this moonshot. So these blind spots sometimes can turn into these magnificent, magnificent things for these organizations. But I guess the, the question for you, Licky, and I'm sorry to cut you off, is is it openness that um, so you need to teach people and have them learn? Or how do you how do you change these habits? Well, you know, it's very similar to driving. So imagine right now you're looking at life in a tunnel vision, which we always are. We're just looking straight. We're not looking at anything beside us. So as we're looking straight, we're not looking for blind spots in our lives. Mm. So yeah, you got to open up that vision of yours and look to the sides mm. and see what else you can't see. Now, interesting enough, other people see your blind spots right away. You just don't. Mm. So you have to be open. You know, I talked about receiving. You have to be open to receiving that feedback from others. So my first, you know, my first takeaway for people is build an inner circle of, uh, of friends or colleagues and allow them to really have a conversation with you about your blind spots. Mm. You know, uh, when I go into organizations, we'll have a leadership team of 12 and we'll do this exercise that first we trade good stuff. So appreciation and good traits. And then the next step is, okay, what's that one thing that you need to work on? What's that one thing that you're having challenges with? And everybody goes around and tells that person that. And it's a safe environment. We, We allow for that. And then they may pick it up or they may not pick it up. That's okay. At least it comes out in the open. Mm. So we, you know, as we're driving, we're checking for blind spots in life, remove that tunnel vision, look to the sides and see what else is possible. Open-mindedness is is one way of putting it. Self-awareness is another one. However, whatever you want to say, just be open to looking at what's not working for you. I think uh, I was actually looking at another report uh, on this the other day. This is kind of odd. This is just coming up now, Licky. Uh, uh, there was the theory of incongruence, and it was about you, like reality, like how you perceive yourself versus how you actually are. And it's just like human nature to always think of yourself in another light or like wish that you were better than you actually are. Um, so I, I wonder how that plays into an individual's roles uh, in their organizations. And I wonder how that plays into um, the, the the hiring aspect of this. We might, we talked about this earlier and I'm going to make this pivot really quick, uh, Licky, if, if I can. Um, I've been preaching, I would say I've been preaching, I've been listening and, and, and relaying the information that mission-driven companies um, if, if you're a certified B corporation, if you have a, a, a purpose-driven mission in your mission statement, that you will be able to retain employees more. So that's been like the theory out there. Okay, if if if, if you have that uh, you know that mission, people are going to come today. They're going to be fulfilled in their work and what they do. And I'm sitting back, and after time and time again of talking to different people, I almost think it just matters more about the actual person who you hire themselves. And I think that might just be a perception and an outcome from that. And I, I, I really do believe it's actually just the person that you hire that comes to that your organization because of those values, not just the mission itself. So it's like 
like the friend example, you you want to get with your your inner circle of friends. Uh, if you move to a new city, you're gonna find people that you know have the same you know, do the same things as you. Go out mm-hmm. to the same movies. Go out to the same games as you. You know, is is there something to that, Licky? And what's your experience in terms of hiring uh, employees and, and retention? That's a great question, and I'm, I'm glad you set that up that way because. Mission statements and vision statements are great to have and and purposeful mission statements are even better to have. Mm. But if you're living them 100% within the organization, you will attract the right people. You only need to go Mm. and look for them. And that's where things start happening is when people start looking for you as opposed to you looking for them. Are you known for living your mission? Are you lo- is your company and organization known for taking care of people? Are you known for standing behind what you really actually say what you're doing? Are you congruent to what you're written down and what your actions are? Mm. If they are, people will talk about you and people will want to work with you. Mm. I like that. So if you look at some of the biggest organizations like Apple, for example, right? People want to go work for Well, when Steve Jobs was around, they wanted to be part of that mission of his, the why. Right? What was the why? And he wanted he wanted to live. People want to live that why. People gravitated to that, and they were happy with that. Mm. Now, if you've got some of the other organizations that they had this core value posted and missions posted somewhere, but they're not living it, and they're always asking to look for new employees, it's a revolving door. There's a reason for that. They're not truly living the purposeful mission. Licky, should people be finding jobs or waiting for jobs to find them? Careers to find them. Should people be finding jobs or, uh, sorry, say that again? Should people be looking for a job or find a job or a career that fits them? Hmm. Well, um, there's two ways of answering that. If you're happy where you are, you're not looking for anything. But all of a sudden, you see an organization that aligns with your core values, your purpose, your purpose in life, and it just shouts out out at you you will align up there. Um, I'll share a small story. So we did a, a session a year ago, um, and I do the Simon Sinek Why session, and we help people find their, pur- their, pur- their own purpose and their own passion and why. Mm-hmm. We finished that exercise, and there was a lady there, and she was having a struggle with her career at that point. The next morning, she opens up the, the papers or whatever she was looking at for, for job ads, and she sees a company that listed their why, which matched her why, like to the, to the, to the T. Mm. She just reached out to them and said, listen, I know you don't have any positions right now, but I need to work for you guys. This is why, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. You guys have that. And two weeks later, she was hired by that company. Mm. And she's been ecstatic with that company because of that. Mm. So it may not be naturally looking for a job, but once you start figuring out who you are as a person, you become self-aware of who you are as a person, you'll either gravitate to where you need to be at or even be better where you are. Licky, what's your why? And did you find any blind spots in your why when you were, when you were looking oh, for it? Uh, my blind spot, my, my why before, definitely, my blind spot always has been to help others be successful and break barriers. Now, when I say break barriers, it comes across as micromanaging and telling people what to do. So I ask a lot of questions about where they are so we can help them achieve where they want to go to. So that was always been a concern. So my kids will always say, why are you telling me what to do? And I'm like, I'm not telling you what to do. I want to find out where you want to get to so I can help you get there. So now I've changed my, so 
you know, in that there was a huge blind spot about the way I used to ask the questions. It was more about a, a telling people what to do as opposed to listening and coaching them to where they want to get to. Mm. So my why was really, uh, it, was, it was very evident, really apparent to me, but the way I was executing it wasn't right. Mm. So they had to step back and shift my way of being so that I can help people get to where they want to get to. And now I don't tell people what to do. I share what I've gone through and I coach them where they want to be at mm. and ask more questions. Look, have you always been a coach? And I guess what's the main difference, if there is one, between your career now versus where you were with the software company? Well, um, have I always been a coach? I, I'm going to say yes to that. And I, not, not even on purpose. So when I had my IT company, um, you know, I'd had customers call me up and say, you know, we, didn't, we need a new CRM or we need a new accounting system. So I'd go into the, the client site and look at their accounting processes and see why they need a new accounting system. Because um, I, I was never the one to say, okay, we'll just sell you the system. We wanted to find out what the reasons were. And I would go in there and do some research and would quickly find out that it wasn't the accounting system they needed. They needed process changes and people changes and culture changes. So I was coaching them through that process and then we would put the accounting system. So I think coaching has always been part of my life one way or another, helping others get to where they want to get to. So yeah, I think that's, I've always been a coach. Uh, like you mentioned tunnel vision, uh, obviously big theme of today with the blind spots, but a lot of entrepreneurs just thrive off of tunnel vision. A lot of entrepreneurs just are so dedicated and they wake up every single morning just wanting to do what they do best and that's grow their company. What are some things that maybe someone listening to this that is locked into that tunnel vision that says, you know what, Lucky, I don't really necessarily agree with that. What's an exercise that they can do to just try out for the day? You know, um, it's not our jobs to change people at all. Mm-hmm. It's just our job to allow them to think what's possible. So anybody who has a tunnel vision, and they probably don't think they have a tunnel vision because they probably don't think they have a blind spot. Mm-hmm. They're just executing business the way it's supposed to be run. Um, you know, I'll share an analogy of a, imagine a, a banker, a, a head of a bank telling their staff, we just need to get more accounts. We need more accounts. So the front end staff is opening up fake bank accounts. Right. And everybody's doing that in the organization. And all of a sudden they get busted for that. And the leader goes, how did that happen? Well, you said get more accounts. You didn't say how or what the purpose was. You just said get more accounts. So the language that, that we, we use in our vision and our purpose has to be very congruent to what we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So the tunnel vision, you know, I've got, I've got clients that get up at four in the morning and they're sending out emails to the entire staff and they're upset that they haven't received a response back by 8 a.m. Well, most people don't start work till 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. But yet they're expecting a response by 8 a.m. So they go into the office at 9 a.m. really upset. I've been up since four in the morning. How come you haven't gotten back to me yet? That's a true tunnel vision CEO who's just thinking about how they work, not how the entire organization works. Mm. Mm. So we've got to have congruency in that. And that if your expectations are that you have to work full time all the time, then you need to hire people like that. Look, how important is the the one who is in management, the one who is in the leadership role um, to really get this concept down, like how important is like what's leadership roles and and maybe the, you know, the the whole blind spot theory and making an organization in congruence. 
Well, you know, uh, honestly, I think it's the responsibility of, uh, of leaders um, to be congruent to our message, to our, to our employees, mm. and create an experience that's incredible. It, it, is, it, is, it is a leadership's responsibility to build an organization well. And leaders are leaders because they've done a really good job of what they do. Um, the trends are changing, though. Um, the old way of leadership uh, leading isn't working that well. And, you know, I, I see a lot of companies and a lot of individuals spend money on systems and training and sales training and leadership training, but not enough on self-awareness and self-awareness training. And if we can start putting some more resources against self-awareness, that's going to allow the leaders to work well and understand what the employees are going through and the employees to work well to see what the leaders are going through. Not one person is right. It's a, it's a team. And everybody has different personalities, but we just have to appreciate what others go through and what others' blind spots are. You know, I've got blind spots, but my team understands what those blind spots are and they help me through them. Hmm. We all have them. But if I wasn't aware of my blind spots and nobody else knew what they were, we would just be running in a circle. So leadership should be, you know, it's key that they also be part of this organ- conversation. Um, when we go into organizations, there's always a requirement that senior leadership should be part of the team, should be part of the organization, uh, the the conversations. Got it. Got it right. Uh, and really quick, I just want to throw this in here. Uh, you mentioned your blind spot, you know, when you were young, uh, getting up there and said, like, go back home to where you came from. You know, that does something to you, uh, obviously. And it triggered something in your head to, to have this speech impediment. I mean, uh, w- w- someone listening to this right now, what advice do you have for them to get past their limiting belief? No matter who it is, whenever we're told something negative, we hold on to it. We will hold on to it. And whether you're in a fight with your partner or you're having disagreement with a customer or an employee, you will hold on to it. The client or the, the, the partner that told you you're an incredible person and you know I love you for who you are, you kind of forget that. So you've got to hear both sides of the story. You've got to also keep in mind that all the feedback that you're receiving is good and bad, and you have to take it all in. You got to learn to receive the good along with the bad. Um, you can't always be a giver. You can't always be giving things. You also have to learn how to receive things. So you know, um, natural tendencies are we hold on to all the bad, but let's start holding on to some of the good as well, and that makes us a better person. Um, you know, Brene Brown, I just, I just love her. I think she's got a great uh, way of doing it. And I use the five, four, three, two, one exercise. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's basically, you know, you look at, you look at NASA, right? They count backwards, five, four, three, two, one blast off. So when I go into a mood of things that are getting anxious or anxieties kicking in, or I'm not happy with something, I just count backwards. And then I say, it's done. Let's move on. As opposed to counting one, two, three, because one, two, one, two, three gives a escalation. It actually gets you more enticed. Mm. So counting backwards just calms you down a bit and lets you move on and do a reset. So there's multiple different ways of doing things. Um, I always, you know, after I learned the receiving part of it, whenever anybody has anything to say to me that's not nice or I'm not comfortable with it, I put myself in what they're trying to say and understand where they're coming from. And just listen. And then I may or may not agree. That's okay. But I have to at least listen. Before that, I wouldn't even listen, especially to the good. I would just cut people off. 
you know, people will say, hey, look, you know, you, this is great. You do a, such, such a great job. I say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's part of my job. Don't worry about it. And I move on. But now I actually embrace that. Mm. And I embrace that, that compliment. And it, it feels good. And it actually empowers me to do better. Well, Licky, thanks for listening to uh, to my voice today. I appreciate that. And and I'll, I'll phrase this last question in reverse. Real leadership. What is your definition? That's a good one. Um, I would um, I would say a real leadership really listens and cares about its team, and then leads definitely you know leads by example. Such a cliche, but really leads by example by being self aware of where they're at and understanding what the other team is going through, really putting themselves in the other person's shoes all the time. I like that answer. Like you talked about a lot today. Uh, I had a really interesting conversation. I didn't really know where this was going to go today, but we covered a lot. You know, we covered um, the the blind spot, uh, tunnel vision, uh, being open to peer review, uh, how important that is in today's business world, and how that's changed since the 90s. Uh, Look, you even shared a couple uh, personal stories with us, and then we kind of wrapped up with some leadership advice uh, and making sure that uh, your organization can lead by example and be in congruence. Uh, uh, Licky, appreciate your time on the show for Licky Lavji. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be open, be in congruence, find your blind spots, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Licky. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate it.